Uh, well, good morning again, uh, sisters and brothers. Um, uh, today we're continuing our Advent series, uh, looking at the things of the end. Uh, and uh, you'll see an outline of where we're going uh, in the order of service. It might be helpful to have that with you. Uh, the references I use are there so that um, you have a chance to, to uh, go back and, uh, and look at them in more detail uh, later on. All right. Uh, so instead of, uh, it's a topical series, so instead of looking at just one passage, we're going to be jumping around uh, a little bit. Uh, let me uh, lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word, uh, and we pray that you will help us now as we think uh, about what you have said to us uh, uh, in your Word, about the resurrection and the final judgment, and we pray that you help us. Uh, we pray that you open our hearts uh, to what you are saying to us, uh, and we pray that you help us to respond to you rightly, and we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. here remembers the song Imagine by John Lennon. Anyone ever remember the song Imagine? A lot of people know this song, right? Maybe it's not some of the younger ones. Well, let me tell you, for those who don't know it, it's a catchy tune, but it has got dreadful anti-God lyrics. I imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell beneath us, above us only sky. And so everyone is just meant to live for today. But friends, just take a moment to imagine there is no heaven, no hell, no judgment, that God doesn't call us to account at the end of our lives for how we've lived, and anyone can get away with whatever they want. Well, you can do whatever you want. As long as you can get away with it now, then you got away with it. And what you do now, good or bad, doesn't count for anything in the end. It's like taking an exam but never getting the results because it will never be marked. That is the world that our secular friends like to imagine they live in. Because a world without judgment promises at first to be a world of freedom. Until they think hard about it and realize that it's actually a world without meaning. And they either have to make up their own meaning or live with the existential emptiness and despair of a meaningless worldview. But the Bible insists there is meaning to life. We are created by God, and we will be judged by him in the end. He will judge with perfect justice, and death itself will not prevent that. And that is, a nut in a nutshell, what we will see in our sermon today. The idea of resurrection and judgment was anticipated in the Old Testament. At Daniel 12, our Old Testament reading, spoke about a resurrection at the end of time. Some rising to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content. But in the New Testament, we see God's plan even more clearly. You remember last week we considered the return of Christ. Christ will come again at the end of the age, not as a baby, but as king. He has already been raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. All authority has been given to him. And one day his kingship will be unveiled for the whole world to see. He will return as king of all. Every knee will bow to him. And that's not just everyone who is alive at the time, but everyone who has ever lived. For when Jesus returns, he will raise the dead. Jesus will raise the dead when he returns. That's the first big point. Right? Now the Bible teaches actually under that that 
all people will be raised. Uh, look with me uh, again at our, our, um, our gospel reading today. John chapter 5, verse 25 to 29 says, Jesus says, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus will speak, the dead will be raised. Right? He talks about how God has given him the authority to do the judgment. And he says in verse 28, don't marvel at this, the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Both are raised, but for very different purposes. The Apostle Paul preached the same message. In Acts chapter 24, uh, verses 14 to 15, uh, he, stand, he stood before the court of King Felix, uh, and he said this, but I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, and I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. There is a resurrection at the end of the age for everyone. Which means, friends, you cannot escape justice by simply dying. You think Hitler escaped justice by committing suicide? Think again. All who are in the tombs will hear the voice of Jesus and come out. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Now, sometimes as a pastor, people ask me about burial versus cremation when we think about the resurrection. Which one should we do? Well, actually, ultimately, it doesn't really matter, right? Because if you're buried, you end up decomposing. And if you're cremated, well, that process just happens very much faster. Um, God spoke, and the world came into being. He can bring you back, whether you're buried or cremated. Now, if you ask which one speaks more eloquently of our resurrection hope, then I will say burial. A burial done well expresses the intention of keeping the body in the ground, while we await the resurrection. And some cultures use cremation to speak of becoming one with the universe, you know, by scattering the ashes everywhere. And uh, well, that's not a Christian concept. But there are so many other things to consider other than eloquence. It's very hard or very expensive to find a burial plot in Kuala Lumpur nowadays. And far more important than whether someone is buried or cremated is what is said, the hope that is expressed at the burial or cremation. You could have a godless burial and a thoroughly God-glorifying, hopeful cremation that is full of the gospel. It doesn't actually matter whether we bury or cremate. What's more important is the gospel shines forth brightly amidst the sorrow of the occasion. But far more important than even that, even the kind of funeral we have, is whether Jesus was Lord of our life while we lived. Because in the end, what we do the, with the body doesn't actually help or hinder the person who died. And you don't get to heaven by having a Christian funeral. You're saved if you trust in Christ when you are alive. And if you trust in Christ but your family takes the body and buries it in another way, well, well that's sad, isn't it? Because... I'm sure you would want it to glorify God in your funeral just as he did in your life. 
But that doesn't change the fact that you belong to Jesus. He doesn't need to check which part of the cemetery you're buried in to know if you're his. You belong to Jesus. And if you die, you are with Christ, whatever they do to your body. And he will raise you to be with him when he comes again. Which brings us to the next point. While we are told of the resurrection of believers and unbelievers, the Bible's emphasis is on the resurrection of believers. Look how it's described in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, Since we believe Jesus died and rose again, uh, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. Those who have died are with Christ now, in spirit, not in body, but God will bring them. Jesus will bring them. For this we declare to you by word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. That's the second coming. With a cry of command, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, the trumpet of God, symbolically Old Testament, for the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day Christ comes. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, first before the believers who are alive meet Jesus. And then we who are alive, verse 17, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Clouds symbolizes the presence of God with his people. And so we will always be with the Lord. See, our resurrection means we are reunited with our bodies. But whether we are dead or alive, in our bodies or out of our bodies, if we belong to Christ, we are always with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us more about our resurrection bodies. There's both a continuity and discontinuity uh, from the present one. Right, the seed you put into the ground is one kind of body. The plant that comes up from it is a different kind. What is sown and what comes up, that's connected but different. And likewise for our bodies. What is sown, verse 42, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Right? The body we, we, we bury is, is broken down. Oh, it died. The resurrection body, that's not going to happen. The body we bury is sown in dishonor. A rotting corpse is not a splendid thing, but it will be raised in glory. The body we sow is sown a natural body, but verse 44, it is raised a spiritual body. All right, spiritual here doesn't mean not material or not physical. It means supernatural, transformed, glorified. And that makes sense, isn't it? In light of what we know about Jesus' resurrection. The tomb was empty, the body is not there, there's continuity. But there was amazing transformation. He seems to be able to make himself recognizable or otherwise. He can change form, we're not sure. He, he could materialize behind locked doors, uh, but yet he was still physical. He could cook and eat breakfast with his disciples. Likewise, there's a difference between the sown body and the resurrection body for the believer. We've got bodies like the fallen Adam now, but after the resurrection, we will have bodies like the resurrected Jesus. Still human, truly human, but transformed. Verse 49, just as if we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Don Carson, in my opinion, is one of the greatest Bible scholars of our time. 
Uh, years ago, when I wrote to him to inform him about the, the death of one of our church leaders in Malaysia, he wrote back and said, that's nothing a good resurrection can't fix. And he made the same comment when sharing about his own very severe illness, which has prevented him from coming to Malaysia this year. But well, that's the Christian hope, isn't it? There's nothing a good resurrection won't fix. Jesus will raise the dead on his return. That's the big first point from today. And the second big point is that the resurrection will be followed by the final judgment. The resurrection will be followed by the final judgment. You know, as you look around the world, you see there is a distinct lack of justice, isn't there? Right? So many people suffer because of others who will never be called into account for this life, in this life. But the Bible tells us that God is just, and he will bring perfect justice to the world in the end. Uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, we see a picture of this. Have a look with me in Revelation 20. That was our uh, epistle reading. Uh, in Revelation 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. See, this judgment is universal. Great and small, doesn't matter. And the judgment is objective. Verse 12 says, the books are open. Books are open. Records are checked. Another book is open, the book of life. More about that later. But notice the basis of the judgment. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. In verse 13, sea gave up the dead who was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. God's judgment is very fair. No one will be able to say to God on the last day, oh, you didn't judge me rightly. You didn't treat me justly. No, 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 no. God will judge people justly and rightly, not by but they've not known or known. No, God will judge them according to what they have done. But that does not give us a cause for optimism. Because if we are judged on the basis of our works, each one of us will be condemned. Because each and every one of us, without exception, is sinful. And the things that we do, that we think, that we say, betray our sinful hearts, especially when we think no one is watching doesn't mean that everyone got the same punishment. God knows how to titrate his wrath accordingly, but God's just judgment in the end leads to condemnation. And that will happen to everyone except, except one category of persons. Verse 14 and 15 says, Death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. And then he says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, no condemnation comes from being in this book of life. And who is in this book of life? Who escapes the punishment that comes from judgment? Well, in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter is preaching the gospel for the very first time to non-Jewish people. And listen to what he tells us about the message entrusted to him and his fellow apostles by the risen Jesus. And he, that's Jesus, 
commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. All right, so Jesus is the judge on that last day. Then it says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Those who escape the judgment are those who receive forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, just as the resurrection at the end was anticipated by the resurrection of Christ, the judgment at the end was anticipated at the cross of Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the cross, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, came early and came on Jesus. Jesus bore the just punishment for our sins in his body for us so that God can forgive us now and not punish us at the end. You see, if we trust in Jesus, we are united with him spiritually by faith. Uh, We are considered together. Our sins are shared with him. His righteousness is shared with us. But on the cross, he paid the full punishment for our sins. So there is nothing left to pay. In him, we are forgiven. In him, we escape the judgment and condemnation we deserve, not because it doesn't need to happen, but because it already happened at the cross. So friends, After the resurrection, will believers be judged? Well, on the one hand, the answer must be no if this judgment has happened already. In fact, Jesus himself says in the very opening words of our gospel reading, John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's very clear, isn't it? But there seem to be parts of the Bible that say something different. Now, for example, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And that's another passage that talks about how Christians long to be with the Lord. Again, in Romans 14, Paul says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Oh, you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's pretty clear as well, isn't it? Paul is making the point that it's not our place to judge each other because each one of us will give an account to God. Which means that just because we're forgiven doesn't mean there's no judgment. We're accountable for what we do. Of course, he says we shouldn't be judging each other because as if we knew each other's hearts, many things we don't know, many ways we'll get it wrong if we try. But but rest assured, based on Romans 14, each one of us will give an account. Each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. So how? You've got some passages that clearly say we won't be judged. Some passages clearly say we will. Are we going to be judged or not? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 helps us to understand this. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is speaking about the work that different gospel workers do. And he says that we all build on the foundation of Christ. But you can build on that foundation, in verse 12, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. And the day, that is the day of judgment in verse 13, on that day, what you have built with will become manifest. Then he says in verse 14, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, there is a judgment of what we do for Christ so that Christ can reward us or otherwise as his servants for our labor for him. It's not about salvation. Even if someone's work is burned up, he is still saved because we're saved by faith in Christ, not by what we do. So in that sense, we don't come to judgment. Right? That kind of judgment, the judgment of condemnation, that is not for believers because God's wrath has already been taken by Jesus. But there is a judgment, not for condemnation, but for commendation. And we don't want to be those who don't have anything to show on that day because nothing that we've done actually survives the test. We want to be people who come before Christ on the last day, not only forgiven of all our sins, but we also want to be people that he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the judgment for believers. As we conclude, let me remind you of the main points to take home. The risen Jesus will come again at the end of the age. When he comes, he will raise the dead, and it'll be time for the final judgment. God's judgment will be perfectly just and based on what we have done, though on that basis we would all be condemned, but we can escape that condemnation by trusting in Jesus. For he died to take the judgment for us beforehand, so that we can be forgiven. What's the main implications of this? Well, if you're not a believer, the most important thing that you can do today is to come to Jesus and believe in him. Can I urge you to do that? Because you don't need to face God's punishment. In Christ there is forgiveness, full and free. Please repent of your sins and come to him before it's too late. And if you need any help with that, then just let us know. We'd love to help you, point you to him. And if you are a believer, then be thankful for the forgiveness that you have been given. You can face the day of judgment with confidence because you have been forgiven. The judgment, your judgments will be faced by Christ. But don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. There is still an accounting, a judgment of a different sort at the end. Live your life now. Not to accumulate stuff. Not to get people to like you. Not to leave a legacy that won't outlast you by much anyway. But to serve your master. So don't fall into the world's trap of thinking life is about getting the best job, 
the most toys or the most likes on social media. That's not what you'll be judged on. If you make your life about the pursuit of those things, it's like taking a chemistry exam and expecting to be marked on how beautifully you drew the beaker and the beaker and pipette. Right? Now you need to draw the beaker. Nothing wrong with that. But if you spend all your time and effort in the exam drawing the most beautiful beaker in the world, you've missed the point of the chemistry exam. And you'll probably fail. Life is about loving God and loving others. Life is about serving God and making His glory known in the gospel. Life is about the kingdom and seeing the gospel go out into all the world so that people can be forgiven before that judgment day. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness that the Master might commend you at the end. Finally, let us who believe look forward to our resurrection bodies. Don't know exactly what they'll be like, but we know enough to get excited. As our bodies get sick and disabled, as they waste away, all the more look forward to the new ones. Ones that will be transformed into the image of Christ. Ones in which our tendency to sin and all the effects of sin will be gone. We put on immortality. As we suffer in our bodies today and we face death tomorrow, we can be assured of the future. For whatever we face, it's nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has died for us. Thank you that he is our risen king and that he will come again to raise the dead and judge the world. Please help us to be ready for him when he comes and help us to live our lives now in light of that future resurrection and judgment. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.